So, um, when I was little, my dad read to us every night. And uh, he read to us, like, The Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, I vividly remember the night where he read us the part where uh, Gandalf falls into the pit after the Balrog comes after him. And we thought he was dead, right? And my parents couldn't spoil it for us. And my sister and I started to cry. Just cried and cried and cried. And they couldn't spoil it. So that's what I grew up reading. I read science fiction. I read fantasy. If you ask me what I'm reading, I'm never reading a Jesus book. I'm never. They're not very interesting after a while. And I zombie book or a vampire apocalypse book or um, I'm reading... I'm. I'm about to start the book that The Expanse is based off of. So it should be no surprise that the scripture story that brings me the most hope is the one about a skeleton army. Um, And maybe that is also because, in my experience, um, hope isn't about restoration. It's about um, what comes after a personal apocalypse. Um, That's why eventually Easter meant a lot to me, um, because it... It was a story of life after death. And for me, that happened about six years ago. Um, Six days before Christmas in 2010, my then-husband was arrested. Uh, The police came to our house at 1130 at night when my son was eight months old and knocked on the door and woke everybody up. And so the dog started barking and my baby started crying. And my um, ex-husband wasn't actually in the house because he'd been investigated by CPS and wasn't allowed to stay with us. And I walked to the front door, and I saw there were people in my backyard with flashlights, and that was the police. And then I got to the front door, and the police officer asked where my husband was, and I said, you know he's not here because CPS won't let him stay here. And they said, well, we need to arrest him. And that night, they arrested him on seven charges. Um, five, sexual assault of a minor, and two, indecent contact with a child, all stemming from a relationship with a 15-year-old girl who he was in a play with, Diary of Van Frank. I can't ever watch Diary of Van Frank or read the book now. <laughs> that trial took a year to come to head. Um, month after month, he'd have to check in with the bail bondsman. His grandfather bailed him out of jail for $20,000. My family put up $13,000. His family put up untold money. And the whole time, we were going to court to get him exonerated because he said that it didn't happen. And what was I going to do and not believe my husband? He was convicted on six charges. They dropped the seventh. And we still believed it was wrong, that this had been a false report. The next day was sentencing, and... I didn't go for complicated reasons, but my mother did. And halfway through the day, she called me and she said, Elizabeth, he just confessed everything. From the stand, as I guess an attempt to curry favor. And it didn't work because he was sentenced to 90 years in prison with a possibility of parole in 45. Though that next month, the judge in a process that I don't really understand the legality of changed that sentence to 40 years with the possibility of parole in 20. Our son was 18 months old. And suddenly, my whole life was set on fire. Everything I thought I had known, the relationship I thought I knew, the man who I had 
been a virgin until I married, had groomed and sexually assaulted a 15-year-old girl while I was eight months pregnant and away at um, midwinter retreat for sixth and seventh graders because I was a youth minister at the time. PTSD and trauma victims go through a thing called a fugue state where things stop feeling real um, and where you have a hard time understanding what's happening around you or experiencing or understanding what your own emotions are. My therapist said uh, to think of it like putting shields up on a spaceship. If you watch Star Trek, which in the Star Trek versus Star Wars world, I'm a Star Trek person. Um, Except for the aliens, because it's stupid that not all aliens should look like humans. I just have really strong opinions about that. Um, The Enterprise puts up shields, and they keep her safe, but nothing can get in. And so for a long time, that's how I existed, um, where nothing could get in and hurt me anymore. Uh, including relationships. And those are what I call my holy Saturday days, because it was years when everything died and there was no life on the other side. I didn't actually file for divorce until two years after he'd been sentenced because I thought I was supposed to leave in restoration, right? The reading I'm going to do a little bit later for you is from the book of Ezekiel. And after all my trauma, there were lots of parts of the Bible that I couldn't read anymore because they seemed to ring false. But there were lots of parts that suddenly meant a lot more to me, especially the Psalms, because there's a lot of angry fish shanking at God, and I can really get into that. But I found that the prophets meant so much more to me, especially the idea of evil people getting judged. (laughs) Yes. Um, I've been in Disciples pretty much my whole life. There's a little while of Church of Christ there at the beginning. But I love Disciples, but one of the things Disciples do is they kind of hedge on talking about sin and judgment. And I understand why. Um, But there are some of us who really need to know that there is something. That there is justness in a way that we can't expect in our days. And the prophets offered me that vision. And they also offered me a sense that we own the places where we are because nothing is causeless. I didn't do anything to merit the situation my son and I had to live in. But my husband had. And in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a very strange book of the Bible. If you've ever read it, there seems to be a spaceship in the beginning of it. Um, Ezekiel is traumatized himself. I don't know how much you know about the Bible. I don't like to assume any kind of precursor knowledge. It feels a little condescending. So Israel was a kingdom, had David. He was, depending on who you ask, not women. He was not good for women, but for dudes, he was real great. After David, Solomon, and Solomon starts out great and then ends up not great. Um, That seems to be a theme in Scripture Uh, He was wise in the beginning, and then he had hundreds of wives and was an idolater. And God was really mad, but God loved his dad so much that he didn't separate the kingdoms until after Solomon had died. And after Solomon had died, that which had been a unified kingdom was split into two. The northernmost of the tribes were in Israel and the southern of Judah around Jerusalem. There were often on years, good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings, more bad than good. And once there started being more bad than good, God started sending prophets who the people promptly ignored. 
Or maybe they didn't. Mostly it was just the kings and people with power who ignored them. That's the thing. If anybody ever tells you you should be a prophet, you should say no because it involves people never listening to you, doing exactly the opposite of what you said. And if you're Jeremiah, they might push you into a well. So that's not a really great thing for God wants you to do. The leaders keep not listening to the people. They keep not listening, and eventually northern, the northern Israel falls to the empire of Babylon. And southern Judah feels really great because they hate them anyway. And they stop listening to their prophets too. And their leaders do not lead the people rightly. And eventually, Jerusalem is conquered by Persia. Persia has destroyed Babylon and now takes over Jerusalem and sacks the temple and brain, burns down the city wall and kills a lot of people. And March is the one who do survive the ruling class north, and that's Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest in the temple, and he watched everybody he loved die, and he watched the city he loved burn, and he watched the temple where he served be sacked. And on the road to Babylon, he has a vision of God, and he doesn't stop having them. And you should never want to be like Ezekiel because all of the visions he had were ones of death. They're ones of judgment for the rulers and the priests who had led the people so far astray. He even is forbidden to mourn his wife when she dies. He's struck mute because that's what being a prophet of God is like. And he learns why the people have been judged because they were idolaters, even in the temple itself. Because the leaders had oppressed them, and they had perpetrated violence. And Ezekiel says the kings had ravaged their subjects like lions. If you want to look for another place where it talks about a good shepherd, that's not in the New Testament, it's in Ezekiel. And God is the good shepherd, and the evil shepherds are the priests and prophets and kings. They had gone so far as to start enslaving each other. They ignored obligations of Jubilee, which was the 50-year economic reset that was supposed to be taking place and never did. They made political covenants with other nations, and they abused and mistreated foreigners who lived amongst them. It was clear, and God had been exceedingly clear, if this is the way you will live, there will be judgment. And surprisingly enough, that makes me think of the modern church. Because there's a lot of bewailing. I don't know if this happens in your circles, but maybe it's because I'm clergy. We talk a lot about Pew Research results, the growing secularization of America, the decline in church attendance, or people who claim to be Christian and never go to church. Uh, I mean, I don't know that you can claim to be something that you don't do. Like That would be like me saying I'm a football player because I, th- I know some things about it. But there's a growing discontent, and it is the falling apart of Western Christendom. There are more nuns and duns than ever before. Every denomination across the board, Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, all numbers, all following, all falling. And the question is one that Ezekiel had, and it's one that I had, is how did we get to this place? Why, are, why is everything dying? Why is what I know false? Or why is what I thought I knew a lie? 
my son and I were victims of visible pathologies. The toxic my husband's upbringing made it so he couldn't ask for mental health help when he needed it. A rape culture that sexualized teenagers and taught him that he a man hate bred into him in a deep, deep way. Even though he was a teacher and they met him at seminary, that women's bodies were commodities to be had, were risks worth gaming rather than people worth protecting. His narcissism and his selfishness bred out of a culture that tells you to buy and to purchase and that you are a product to sell. His sin didn't exist in a vacuum. He was not a causeless man. He made his own choices, yes, but the repercussions of his choices filtered out just like they did for people. An evil man and an evil woman can do so much more evil than just in their own life. And we saw that in mine, and we saw it in Israel. Generations of evil men and women who teach you that your religion is something that it never should have been, that people are bought and sold for your benefit. Because the people of Yahweh had started worshiping in false and perverted ways. That their religion was a They thought that because they were Yahweh's people, that Yahweh would always protect and bless them no matter what. They thought that because God had granted them and that he would never forget. They thought because God had established a Davidic dynasty that it would reign in Jerusalem in perpetuity and that you had to support the throne no matter who was on it. Or no. And they thought that since Solomon this beautiful temple here, that only in that temple and that God lived in that temple and would never permit that temple to be destroyed. Somehow, God, they're captive. The puppet who said yes, whatever they want to do in perpetuated evil and the poor and the poor suffered. I unlearn all of this too out in the wilderness. God, through vision after vision, God has to teach. God was sovereign over actions, the history, and that this wasn't a sign that God had failed. People had that God had included in His the they had earned with their evil, and that God ultimately His punishments are just. That God is not capricious or malevolent, but there are just consequences for evil behavior. What do you expect when a ruling class views its people as cattle to the slaughter? Why should they be let to stand? And so I look at the modern church, and I wonder, did we earn it? Are we not victims here, or are we instead, have we written the song that we're singing now? Thinking, or we did it thinking that for punish us, he was in Jerusalem, he will always protect us. If Ezekiel with us wouldn't 
ask us, how are you responsible for this? How have you earned this? What have you done? Have you argued about worship styles instead of arguing how you're mistreating the foreigner amongst you? Have you worried about capital campaigns instead of wondering how you're treating the poor? Have you focused on relevant Bible studies and then never required your people to be faithful to them? And of course, he's talking to individuals. He's talking to a group. He's talking to the corporate body because it's not about the individual. It's about what we do together. How have we earned it? How have we created this? What are the systems undergirding it that has let us, in the name of Jesus, make victims of people all around us and then are surprised when they don't want to come to church? Have we directed the foreigners or have we just turned a blind eye when people in the name of Jesus did it? Have we practiced economic extortion or slavery on our fellow countrymen or did we just look away when we didn't want to see it? Have we brought idols in our midst, like flags in the sanctuary, and political ideology to tell us what it means to be faithful? Have we failed to call out our brothers and sisters, like the prophets and priests we may be supposed to be, and say, what you're doing is wrong, and it has nothing to do with God, or did we shy away from difficult conversations because... The most important giver on our congregation likes that church. I see the places of pain and where it's falling apart, and I hear the conversations about what if we die, and I think um, that's actually a really good thing. Because sometimes everything has to die before you can have life again. It's my story. When I eventually filed for divorce two years after the fact, my mom and I were talking about it, and she said, Honey, your marriage died a long time ago. This is just the death certificate. And she was right. But it takes a long time to recognize that things are dead. And it takes a long time, even as a Christian, to remember that the dead, well, a tomb is not the last place you are. I had to learn to understand the systems that led my husband to be who he was, to do the evil against us, and the system itself being evil. And Ezekiel had to learn that too, that the systems were wrong and that they had to die and that the people in exile had a better chance at a future than if God had never let them experience judgment. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He had led me all around them, and there were so many lying in the valley, and they were dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, uh, Lord, you know. And he said to me, prophesy to the bones, mortal. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus, thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter into you and you will live. 
I will lay sinews upon you and you will cause, cause flesh to come upon you and it will cover your skin and I will put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am God. So I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise and a rattling and bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and then there was sinew on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And so he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath that thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe upon these that are slain so that they will live. And I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. And he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are cut off completely. And therefore you prophesy to them and say to them, Thus says God, I am going to open your graves, and I will bring you up out of your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am God when I open your graves and bring you up out of them, people. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. And I will place you on my soil, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. Ezekiel waits 37 chapters before he's allowed to speak a word of hope. It's a strange hope. It's hope that only comes after everything is dead. After all the hopes you could have had are gone. It's hope that looks like a skeleton army. This is like the Michael Bayist part of Scripture. I know that my life died. The way I was. Mr. The way my I was a minister, and they loved me, and they cared for me in ways... I could write books about, but after taking care of me, I wasn't a pastor anymore. I was the person that they were afraid for. And they were traumatized too. And I needed to go so that they could heal and I could be away from what my family calls the It's a Buffy reference if you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I needed to be somewhere else, but it was really hard for me to find another church. From the moment I entered into our search process, it took me 19 months before I had a call because people were gun-shy about a woman whose husband was a sex offender. I had one church accuse me that I couldn't possibly not have known, so they wondered if I was complicit. I thought my career had died, too but it hadn't. And I found a church and I got a divorce and hope looked not like my marriage being restored. I always feel a little uncomfortable when people talk about restoring marriages because, Lord God, I didn't want mine. And I realized it was the first time in my life I actually had to believe in Easter. We tell the story every year. A guy dies, and he walks out of a tomb three days later, and we sing a song about it, and it's fine, but until you die, 
and need an Easter, you don't believe it. Until you die, you don't need an Ezekiel 37 where the untold multitudes of the dead of God breathe again. So maybe the church is dying. Maybe it needs to. Maybe that which we have done to create this future where we struggle is something we have to own. We use the Bible to justify enslaving people. We use the Bible to justify Jim Crow. We use the Bible to justify the subjugation of women. We use the Bible to justify child labor. We use the Bible to justify the killing of trans women. We use the Bible just like Israel used the Bible. And we use it the way God doesn't intend, and there has to be judgment for it. There has to be consequence for it. But the story of Ezekiel's story is that death is not the end. But if the church dies in the form it is now, that's actually good news. But we have to be humble enough to admit that sin led us here. We have to be humble enough to admit that when we tried to gain power, we lost sight of Jesus. We have to admit that we really do believe in a resurrection of a body or maybe the bride. We have to really believe that God can do something more than what we know. Because until then, we're walking in a graveyard trying to say hallelujah. And I'd much rather we were walking in a graveyard all about to say, here's the breath of God, you who have lain in waiting. Pray with me. God, help us to believe what we say we believe, that the dead can rise. that we can rise when we die in pain in this life, that our churches can rise through the painful death of who we were into what we will become. Help us to have courage at what it means to follow Jesus fully, to be his in death and his in life. In your son's name we pray. Amen.